0: Well, good evening everybody. Amen. A warm welcome once again to this, our last session in what has been quite a intensive and enriching uh, time of engagement with God's Word. This is your father's house. Amen. This is family. So you're in the right place at the right time for the right purpose. Amen. And so a warm welcome to you. I want to make certain that everybody has a manual. Everyone has a manual. Yes. If you don't have one, pick your hand up and one will be given to you. There's no cost for this. Okay, we're very generous tonight, amen. So just take one. If you don't have one, it's important that you have one because I'm going to use it to uh, fast teachings tonight uh, because there's quite a bit of material that I desire to to cover tonight. Uh, before I start, let's let's get this out of the way. Okay, uh, we're going to give you the second CD because you've come tonight. We're going to give you a free CD, amen. Everyone say, "Who loves free things?" Hallelujah. My my both hands up. My both hands up. Okay. Just give one to everybody. Everyone, just give one to everybody. This CD contains the last nine sessions of our teachings here in the local church. And we have been exploring the subject of Kingdom Economics. In your welcome pack, that's the initial folder you have. You should have already received a CD there. And that contained the first nine sessions of all the teachings we've done on Kingdom Economics. The CD you're getting now contains the next nine sessions. That is literally plus minus almost the last um, 10 or so weeks of teachings that we have done here at church on a Sunday morning. Okay? And so just give one to everyone. That's fine. Okay? Including the young people. So uh, you have in your possession then 18 sessions. Okay? Okay? So tell your neighbor you have a lot of homework to do. Okay. The context for the teachings set at this weekend is set against the backdrop of those 18 sessions. If you have failed to, up, to understand some of the things we have mentioned this weekend, then I want to encourage you to listen to those 18 sessions. So I trust that will be a source of enrichment and enlightenment to you. You also have our permission to copy the CD. Uh, to make multiple copies of the same and to share it with friends if you so wish amen tonight is our last night and primarily for this weekend we've dealt with the subject of first fruits amongst other things but i think first fruits took the primary attention of our discussions here and we say that it's something which i believe god through modern day apostles and prophets Restoring to the body of Christ. For a long time, we often thought that tithes and first fruits were synonymous, but they are very clearly delineated as separate in the scriptures. And we must not lump together what the scriptures separate. Okay? And so we're going to find a modern day counterpart for the application of honoring God with our first fruits. And I want to start there. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth from the first of all of your produce. So your barns will be full with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In the New King James, verse 9. <clears throat> Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Go to the old King James. King James. Honor the Lord with thy substance or substance wealth or possessions honor the lord with your substance your wealth with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase the motivation for its its observance is to seek a way to express your honor you can verbally say i honor god but the word honor in the hebrew always denotes the enactment of something you must do something to demonstrate the esteem that you accord to the other in your mind. honor starts with a mental opinion. Honor starts with an estimation in the mind. So you hold the person in high esteem. Starts with a viewpoint. Starts with an esteem. It, it starts with how you appraise someone, weigh them, and accorded value to them. Right? If you accord the value high, so you commensurately, based upon your estimate, based upon your esteem, will then treat the person accordingly and offer the person certain marks of respect. Everyone say marks of respect, right? Certain expressions. So it's easy to say, God, I honor you in song or verbally or even to have a mental comprehension of God and esteem Him highly. But what you hold as true as an opinion in the mind must find its expression in a deed, in an enactment to give expression to that mental comprehension. Not so. Otherwise, it's purely mental and not actual. All the occurrences of honor in the Scripture denote the doing of something. The doing. This verse says, everyone say the word with. So you honor the Lord how? It says with your wealth. And it says by offering Him the first fruit of all of your substance. We said that the first fruit is directed towards the person, not an institution. Giving must not so much be institutional in the mind of the giver as much as it is personal. And so you honor the grace carrier. You honor the representation of God by the giving Him of your first fruit. And in that way, you denote your esteem, your value, not so much for the person per se, outside of his role and function and calling in your life as a spiritual father or one who has oversight over you to speak the word of the lord to you and to impart grace to you it's not so much the person per se outside of that economy it's your comprehension of the grace the person possesses everyone say grace the grace the person possesses your esteem of that and so you honor the person for their labor of love in the lord in disseminating to you the word of the Lord but it's not their hard work and the diligence that you are honoring because even for that person the grace carrier the spiritual father when he labors in that way listen carefully he labors by grace Paul even said I work but it's not me I work it's not me it's the grace of God being operative in me so if I honor someone in appreciation as a mark of respect born out of an esteem I have for them in the mind if i honor them for their work in christ it's not for their work per se because what fuels the work is the grace of god in them so honoring your father with first fruits is born out of a deep value that you attach to grace if you have no value attached to grace the application of the first fruit principle will not give will not be given due accord in your life Amen. Now, what I want to do, perhaps in this session, is speak to some of the benefits and the blessings attached to this. I want to perhaps link one specific blessing based on what I have just said. In your your manuals, it's on page 21. It's actually point number 2 on page 21. And it's Numbers chapter 8 and verse, sorry, Numbers chapter 18 and verse 8 to 19. Now you've got to understand this more than all of the other blessings which i will refer to in a moment i think perhaps this particular one is both a blessing and a motivation to observe the act okay when you understand it uh comprehensively okay so numbers chapter 8 18 and verse 8 we're going to read together i want you to follow an idea here that god within the midst listen carefully in the midst of encouraging israel to observe tithes first fruits offerings he mentioned something very very clearly the lord spoke to aaron who is the functioning or reigning high priest at the time now behold i myself have given you charge of my offerings even all the holy gifts of the sons of israel i have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual allotment this shall be yours Um, for those of you that on a year for the first time I'll encourage you to listen to the sessions that I did on Saturday where I spoke about what principles should govern the administration and management of this finance once it's received it's not for selfish indulgence it's not for greed it's not for someone to build up their personal financial empire this teaching in the wrong hands can be dangerous Right? It takes a man of God who in the fear of God is free from the love of money to administrate this. Okay? From the most holiest of gifts reserved from the fire, every offering of theirs, and even every grain offering, every sin offering, every guilt offering, which they shall render to me, shall be most holy to you and for your sons. As for the most holy gifts, you shall eat it, Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours, the offering of their gift. Even all the wave offerings of the sons of Israel, I have given them to you and to your sons and to your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. Everyone of your household who is clean may eat it. All the best of the fresh oil, all the best of the fresh wine and the grain and the first fruit. Everyone say the first fruit. And the first fruit of those which they gave to the Lord, I have given them to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Every first issue of the womb of the flesh, whether man or animal, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours nevertheless the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem leave just skipping verse 16 and 17 go to verse 18 their meat shall be yours it shall be yours not just that god stresses this right like the breast of the wave offering like the right thigh verse 19 is important all the offerings everyone say all the offerings so God mentions a range of offerings in the build-up to this particular verse. He says, All the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offered to the Lord, I have given them to you and to your sons and to your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and to your descendants forever. Now it's a very strange thing to mention. After mentioning the fact that first fruits amidst other offerings would be directed to the high priest. And God says, This is a perpetual ordinance, unbreakable. And then He says, It will be a covenant of salt to you. Everyone say, Covenant of salt. Now, one of the blessings of first fruit is what we simply called covenant of of salt. In Oriental Eastern culture, when two people got married, the administrating priest over the ceremony, each of the couple, the bride and the groom, will have a separate bag of salt, each one their own. He, the administrating priest, would have an empty bag of salt. And in their exchange of vows one to the other at the end, what they would do is he would ask them whether they were open to mixing their salt together. So they would each simultaneously pour their separate bags of salt into the empty bag of salt that the priest had. So their salt would be mixed one with the other. Then he would take it and he would shake the bag to really mix the stuff. Then he would say to them, now you extract your salt and you extract your salt. A virtually impossible thing to do. It was enacted in marriages to denote the permanence of the contract. The inviolability, right? The absolute permanence of the marriage contract, okay? Um, I've administrated weddings in our modern day where we've practiced this, okay? It's a wonderful ceremony, I believe. Who's getting married here, anybody? Who plans to? <laughs> I mean, wonderful thing to do at your marriage ceremony. But listen carefully. God used that concept of a covenant of salt in reference to israel offering first fruits to the high priest so what is the principle what is god essentially saying is that israel is is contracting your salt is been mixed with their salt right now salt listen carefully denotes fidelity it denotes integrity it denotes permanence it denotes preservation Okay salt has a myriad of symbolism attached to it but salt also denotes grace everyone says salt also denotes grace colossians 4:6 let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt so grace flows from speech that's why how do you receive grace you receive grace by the word of the Lord, when someone preaches the word, packaged in word, grace comes to you. But even you, in your daily life, in the world, when you speak, Paul encourages us, let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. So one of the symbolic applications of salt is grace. So what what happens when I offer my first fruit to my spiritual father? What am I saying symbolically? Forever my life is laced with your grace forever my ministry my life is salted with the grace that god has given you it's enmeshed into my life so much so that i cannot extract that grace from me even if i wanted to the impact the effect the predominant influence of the grace that you carry is forever embossed indelibly upon my mind Upon my behavior, upon my functionality, it's very easy to detect who's your father. You watch a man closely enough. In in Zambia recently, and if Abraham is watching, this is for you. <laughs> Abraham is uh, Ralph Eli's son in the Lord. And the first time I heard Abraham, if you hear him without seeing him, you'd almost swear Ralph Eli is speaking. With the Zambian accent. <laughs> the same intonations, um, but the same thoughts, same thought pattern, the same thought processes, the same reasoning, the same clarity, the same, the same anointing that flows. What has happened? The grace of a father has been laced and enmeshed in the life of a son. When I offer first fruits in honor to my spiritual father, listen carefully. Grace flows. Everyone say grace flows. Grace flows from father to son. There are many ways of increasing your grace content. Many ways of increasing your grace allotment. The easiest way is by, apart from the very quintessential way, by obedience to the doctrine or to the word that he preaches. And there are other methodologies as well. But one way which I found is most easy is to honor him financially. Because when you honor the man financially... The grace of God flows from him to you. Now look at Philippians chapter 1 quickly. I want to draw reference uh, to something here very, very quickly. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. Remember I said to you yesterday, Paul outrightly refused to receive any kind of financial support from Corinth, a whole city. And he did it for very clear reasons. Okay? Saying, I... Did not want to be a burden to you, but I worked with my own hands so that I won't be a financial burden to you. But in context, he wanted to disassociate himself from false apostles whom he said, in your context, they peddle the word of God. right? But in the same context, he said, I robbed other churches in order to serve you. Churches, and he mentioned like from Macedonia, one such church in Macedonia, the province, was Philippi. And the Philippians were really faithful to financially support Paul. And you'll see this, he says, just go back, let's read from verse 1. Can we read from verse 1? Okay. Paul and Timothy bond servants of Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the elders, the overseers, and the deacons. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Everyone say, first day. Say, until now. In other words, their participation in the ministry of Paul had no cessation, no interruption, no breakage. If there was ever a church consistently faithful to support the Apostle, it would be the Philippians. And they did it not so much just in their prayer and mental disposition, they did it also monetarily. They did it fine, financially. Okay, this is a great testimony. Unwaning support. Verse 6, I am confident. Say, I am confident. I am. I am confident of this very thing that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of? Christ Jesus contextually he did not say that to every church contextually he said it to a specific church for very specific reasons I know we can quote this verse I am confident that he will begin a good work and you will complete it but you got to understand what gave rise to this blessing you got to understand in context why the apostle felt so definitively is The term, I am confident, equated to, I hope so. No. He's saying, listen guys, I hope you guys finish. No? Aha, what does I am confident mean? I am confident. (laughs) There's no great revelation there. I'm certain. I can put my head on the block. I am confident about one church. He will begin, this good work in you, will bring it to its logical outcome. It's full maturation. Then he says, Verse uh, 7, I like the heart of the apostle. It is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Leaders should feel about people. Okay, if you don't feel something, you're leading nothing. Yeah. Even Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Heart, he says, and he says, since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are what? Are pa, takers of what? Grace. It's like covenant of salt. Uh grace, my grace is enmeshed in the life of the Philippian believers. Invoidable, permanent. And he corroborates the statement by saying, from the first day even up to now. You know, today we have such breakable father-son engagements. Okay. Ruth said to Naomi, Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And where you die, I will die. Do you know the etymology of Naomi? The root meaning of Naomi is grace. Naomi means good, pleasant, agreeable. But the root meaning of Naomi is grace. That grace found its way into the life of this girl, Ruth. Who according to Ruth 4.17 put it up Ruth 417 Ruth is called better than what she's called better than seven sons 15 Ruth is called better than seven sons if Ruth is cast in the role of son it makes Naomi spiritual father this is not a narrative about mother-in-law and daughter-in-law symbolically it's spiritual father spiritual son and the grace attached to Naomi's life found its way into the life of this girl Ruth such that she came into redemption. The word redeem, redemption or redeemer in various forms occurs 20 times in four chapters in the book of Ruth. Right? And what was her consistent disposition every time she went to glean in the the fields? Would she come back consistently and honor She came back to honor Naomi, not so. With the first fruits of all, her increase. For three whole months, Bible says, from the start of the barley harvest to the end of the wheat harvest. Barley harvest, first month. Wheat harvest, third month. For at least three months, she consistently honored Naomi. And what did God do for her? She came into her own personal breakthrough, not so. God broke her, her infertility from not being able to bear kids. She not only bears a son, she bears a son, Obed, who bears Jesse, who bears David. From David's line comes the Christ, right? She not only breaks, God not only breaks infertility, God breaks her her financial status. She starts to beg in a field, which once she marries Boaz, she now owns the field, right? You can own the, the, the phase that you once begged him. Right? And the, the, the Ruth narrative is one of the most powerful narratives of how a son, if rightly positioned in reference, in honor to a spiritual father, can come into great redemption. Redeeming. Buying back, putting back what was, putting back what was lost. Amen? And so God restored her multiple times. So go back to Ephesians 1.7. We've got sidetracked there but but I think it was the Lord. Okay. Go back to Philippians 1:7. Paul says this about them, okay? That you are partakers of grace with me. Now, how do they do that? You'll find this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 15. Philippians 4:15. You yourselves know Philippians that at the first preaching of the gospel when I left Macedonia from your province when I left, no church, everyone say no church. He says, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but but you. Listen to me carefully, brethren. All these scriptures are not in the Bible for nothing. There's value here. Tell someone there's value. There's, There's stuff to learn if you learn quickly enough and install the principle in your life and start to operate. You will get the result of I am confident that he will begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of jesus christ yeah and he says the next verse even when i was in thessalon Nica, like another city you sent a gift not once everyone say more than once more than once you sent gifts even for my own need and even towards the end of the book of philippians i want not have time to read it i want to get to something else paul says even right now i am in receipt of a gift that you have sent Aphroditus, your messenger. You've sent him. I'm holding this gift. And he says, I'm not wanting gifts from you, am I? But I'm seeking to what can profit to your account. He says, I'm wanting to seek what can benefit you. What I'm interested in, watch, is it verse 15? He uses the word shared. Everyone say shared. No church shared with me. And if you go back to Philippians 1.7, he says, but you are partakers of grace. Do you know the word shared in chapter 4 and the word partakers in chapter 1 are built up from the same root in the Greek? The word for partakers is sug koinonos. This is page 46 if you're following in your notes. Sug koinonos, page 46. And the Greek word for shared is partake, means to partake together a fellow or joint partaker and shared koinonia literally means to communicate to distribute or to impart both words come from the root koinonos which means a companion or partner in the long and short of this watch how did the philippians partake in the grace of paul by distributing and sharing with him monetary support it's very clear from this so uh, i say that to say this listen carefully the grace that is vested predominantly within the person that has oversight over your soul your spiritual father in the lord your apostolic father your oversight if you're a minister of a congregation the apostle to whom you relate when you honor that person financially the predominant grace everyone say predominant grace the predominant grace in that person will flow to you will flow to you and paul in philippians 4 19 says to the same people and my god will supply all your needs i've got a graphic there on page 48 if you want to watch my god will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by christ jesus he should have said our god not so it would have been fine and think more applicable for Paul to say, and God or our God can supply your need. But he references my God. He's not saying that we have different gods. All he's alluding to, listen carefully, he's saying if you truly understand this, you are going to now tap into a quality of provision and privileges that I enjoy by virtue of my calling as an apostle and quality of relationship with God, you have accessed that now. My God supplies your need. You have a need, I have a God. Yes, it's all of our gods, but by virtue of my calling as an apostle and, and, and the favor I enjoy based upon that, that disposition, you have now accessed. When Ruth said to Naomi, your God will be my God, she's not just saying, I also want to worship Jehovah God of the Jews and not worship Chemosh, which was the Moabites, the, the Moabite God of the Moabites, an evil deity, She's not just saying, I'm switching gods. Your God will be my God. She's saying, I want in on the benefits that obviously you are getting by virtue of your quality of your relationship with God. I want in on that. And how did she access it? She accessed it by expressions of honor financially in terms of the provision that she honored Naomi with. Amen. So tell your neighbor, now give first fruits with understanding. You know, I can't explain to you the joy that I feel. Ask if I'm about to administrate a 1st word offering to my Father in Christ. I get overwhelmed based upon what I know of the revelation. It's my greatest honor and joy to do it. Knowing that certain benefits would come to me not based on me. I'm tapping into a higher order. The grace vested... There, now starts to flow. Do you know, I travel the nations fairly extensively now. I believe for one sole reason. I have a father who does. We're able to teach around the world that predominant grace has found its way to me. I had prophecies from my youth about global travel. So many, I can't count. I drew airplanes around each one. I recorded them. In my, wild, in my small mind, I never ever thought, how will this ever be? Until I found a father whom I began to honor and watch. The capacity for decoding the scriptures that he has suddenly comes to me. Right? Strengths vested in him suddenly flow to me. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to work this out. You simply have to believe. Tell someone, simply believe. There are stuff you can work for in your own strength by the flesh. Or there's stuff you can position yourself rightly to access and it will just happen. Reflexively, automatically. Do you know what was one of Paul's predominant strengths? One of Paul's predominant strengths was to finish. Everyone say to finish. Finish. Right? In Acts, I think it's 20, thereabouts, if someone can find the verse. He said this. He said, I don't count my life dear unto my self if by any means i might finish my course and the ministry that god gave to me not so was paul a finisher this is your acts 20 24 i don't consider my life on any account as dear to myself i want to finish my course and the ministry which i have received from the lord jesus christ so did paul want to finish was it a an ardent overwhelming desire within him yes My question to you is, did he finish? How do you know? If you know your Bible, come on, talk to me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you can find it for me, look. 2 Timothy chapter 4. What did he say to his son in the Lord? He says, I have run my race. I have finished my course. I have fought a good fight. So emphatically... The apostle made a bold statement. He said, "I have finished." Watch, Acts twenty. I want to finish. Oh, that I might finish. Second Timothy four. I. Isn't that a wonderful thing when you express a desire at one point in time, at another point in time you say it's done, and I'm still alive. In fact, they say you live for 15 years after this. I don't know. Theologians say, "How is it killing time on the planet?" knowing that your assignment is in god is done i have finished i'm just hanging around to see how things play itself out right it's not coming to your grave and you're dying oh god some outstanding matters i need to do for you no paul says i'm alive it's powerful thing to be alive and to have the conviction my assignment on earth is done that is why he could say to the philippians i am confident That he will begin a good work in you will do what will complete it or finish he is saying to them i have the capacity so strong in me that the grace to finish is in me you've participated by honoring me financially guess what my strength becomes your strength not only will i finish but now you also have the capacity to finish because you participated in grace there are things that will come to easy if you position yourself rightly, there are certain things you will not have to work hard for. It will simply flow as a matter of download to you. Amen? It will flow as a matter of of download to you. I want to draw reference to something that actually Andy uh, raised when we first did this teaching in 2012, I think, when it was unveiled to me. If you go to page 53, 1 Peter 5.10 speaks about the all grace. It says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. And then 1 Peter 14 talks about, As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace. Everyone say manifold grace. So there's two descriptors in Peter and they are easy to remember. Everyone say 1 Peter. Say 410, 510. Right? 1 Peter 14, 1 Peter 5.10. 410 talks about all grace. 510 talks about manifold grace or variegated grace. Okay? The word manifold here means many-sided, variegated, multicolored, or diverse, as it's indicated. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 6. Quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 6 says, now I say this, he who sows sparingly will reap also sparingly he who sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully so if you want the quality of your harvesting or reaping to increase you better increase your sowing not so tell someone you want to reap more simply sow more that's what the verse is saying based upon your faith your trust in God the bountifulness with which you sow will position you for a bountiful harvest. God said this to me very forcefully about four years ago. I was complaining about the quality of my harvest. And God just rudely awakened me to the fact that says, you want your harvest to grow, then up your seed. Yeah. It's very simple, Randolph. Yeah. Up your seed. And this, You know, we know these scriptures, but we don't know them. <laughs> uh, we know them textually, theologically, but to know them practically in the life, And then every time I sowed, I deliberately upped the seed. And the the scriptures are true. Amen. So you determine your harvest. Next verse, verse 7. says, each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful cheerful giver. God loves a happy giver. Uh, And I want to encourage you, no one is to observe the first fruit under compulsion. No one must do it with a gun to your head. If you're going to do it because you feel coerced to, don't do it at all. You'll lose the attendant blessing because you've got to do it with cheerfulness. Amen. And yesterday I said to you what Paul said to the Corinthian church. I personally in our local house do not insist upon it. If people want to practice it. They must do so based upon the revelation of their own hearts. Okay. But no one is forced to. Amen. So what you must do so cheerfully. And then verse 8 says what? There's a promise. And God is able to make what? Now, He's able to make all grace. 4.10, 1 Peter, speaks about all grace. 1 Peter 5.10 speaks about multiple grace. My issue is this. What activity, scripturally speaking, biblically speaking, accesses all grace? What activity? Giving. Everyone say giving. Is it not clear from what we just read? So giving accesses or grace. Now, a little diagram at the bottom of page 53 there. So if you, the spiritual son, honor your father or your apostolic oversight in Christ financially with a first fruit or financial gift of honor. You see the arrow going from the father to the son? I got at the top there. The grace of God within the spiritual father. So the, the, the strength of the father's unique grace comes to the son but not only that because if it was only that you are blocking yourself off to other expressions of strength in grace giving thus twofold things it acts as the predominant configuration of grace within the father but once you administrate it it has the capacity to unlock all grace i believe this every other facet of the diverse grace of god will come to you as you need it for your function in life in the will of God yeah it happens now look on the next page quickly I want to do this Um, I have taught a whole session of how that giving is a grace and time will not permit us um, to go there but on the page 55 I want to just allude you to something Romans 12 verse 6 says Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Just stop right there. Look at this text. We have what? Gifts? How does gifts differ according to what people have of different giftings? According to this verse, it differs according to the the variations of grace given to each one respectively. Not so? Right? So watch. Every operation of a gift is proof of the presence of grace driving that gift so the apostle is arguing here we have gifts that differ according to grace now let me just stop here there are three classifications of gifts in the new testament three there are nine gifts of the holy ghost we know those right nine gifts of the holy ghost there are five what we call ascension gifts of christ from christ himself nine given by the holy ghost five governmental offices given by Christ, pastors, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and and teachers. Then in this listing in Romans 12, we have seven gifts, which they often call motivational gifts, presumably given by the Father, um, and they are as follows. It says, number one, let's operate the gift according to the grace. If prophecy, according to the proportion of His faith. Go on. If service in his serving. He who teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with with cheerfulness. Seven gifts. One of those gifts is he who gives must do so how? With liberality by generosity. This word in the Greek, haplotes, means to be generous without any hidden motivation. It's amazing how generosity can have a hidden motivation sometimes. This word suggests if you have this gift of giving, you do it with utter sincerity, with no hidden agenda. Right? No hidden agenda. Tell your neighbor no hidden agenda in giving. Right? No hidden agenda in giving. This note, part of this note I wrote in 2012, and this is what Andy said. Concluding thought right at the bottom. If giving has the, got the capacity for you to share in the grace of your spiritual father and also unlocks, unlocks all or manifold grace of God, then it is safe to conclude that the gift of giving is the only gift that will unlock the grace for functioning in other gifts, all of which flow from grace. I hope you got the revelation. Listen to me very carefully. All nine gifts, all ascension gifts, although you cannot cover the ascension gifts, by the way. Those are determined by Christ Himself. And the motivational gifts, they all flow from grace. Watch. If all gifts are grace, they flow from a position of grace. And if giving, according to Scripture, is the only gift that accesses all grace, from which all gifts flow, I will pursue and cover what gift? The gift of giving. Because if I master this gift, I access all grace from which every other gift can flow. Right? Tell someone it's a key. It's a key. I'm telling you, master the gift of giving. You open yourself up to operating efficiently in other gifts. Because giving has got the capacity to accentuate grace, which if increases, automatically accentuates your efficiency of operating in any other gift. Amen? So what gift should you pursue? The gift of of giving. Grace will flow to you. So are you looking forward to honoring your leadership financially? If you don't think, don't be short-sighted. Don't think here and now. See broadly what this is accomplishing for you in Christ. See broadly what this is accompanying for you in Christ. On page 24, blessing of uh, Proverbs 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first of all of your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with with new wine. Now, two blessings are spoken of here. Uh, Filled barns, especially if your surname is (laughs) Barnwell, okay... People ask me, are you well? Agree, How is it? Are you well? No, I'm not well. I'm born well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? So the blessing here is barns filled with plenty and vats that gushing forth. Overflows to gush forth, spew forth vociferously with, with new wine. Both of these have practical and spiritual applications. The practical application is obvious. You will never lack. Tell someone you will never lack. Let me just say this. When God chided Eli for not reprimanding Hophni and Phileas, He reprimanded the priest for not correcting his sons, for abusing the offerings, and for disrespecting him. The one thing that God said to Eli is this. Don't you know that them that honor me, I honor them? Repeat this after me. Them that honor me, I honor them. If you honor God, God will honor you. How do you honor Him? According to this text, you honor Him with your first fruit. There's no way God's not going to respond to you. One of the ways indeed He will honor you is by taking care of you. You might go through testing and lack at times, but you will never be destitute. God might permit you to go through some seasons where He needs to um, do and effect certain things within your character and your disposition on your way to maturity, but I submit to you, never will you be embarrassed, never will you be ashamed, never will you be, you, will you come to destitution. God will honor you. He is no respecter of persons, and He stands behind His word. He is true to His word, and His word will never fail. I'm going to believe God's word will never fail. Amen. God's word will never fail. So I believe this: plenty, abundance. But also, there's a spiritual application because both bread and bonds were used to store grain from which bread is made. And that's the new wine from which wine is made through time, through the maturation process. Both bread and wine are an allusion to the Word of God. Man will not live by, bread alone, but by every Word of God. Wine, too, is a reference to the revelation of God's Word. You will study this in Genesis 49, where it is said of Judah, his eyes or red with the blood of grapes. In other words, his perspective, he looks at everything in life through the filters of revelation. And he says his life, okay? This promise, so to those who offer first fruits, and I have been a personal recipient of this blessing. I can't tell you how my understanding of the scriptures have just blown open. And people ask me, which Bible school do you go to? My classic response to, I haven't, I haven't been a day in Bible school, but I have a spiritual father, right, who well, my honor. I'm telling you, your sense of revelation, your sense of the grip on God's word. Jesus even said at one stage, if you are unfaithful with unrighteous mammon, who then will commit to you the true riches of the, the kingdom? Faithfulness in money decodes and unlocks for you penetration into the revelation of the eternal riches in Christ, which are vested in His Word. Amen. Hallelujah. So think about that, brethren. Next time you give. Let, it, let, let the quality and trust God for the quality and capacity of your revelation, illumination in the Word to even grow and enhance. I wish I had time to explain this more. This is also located in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, that um, if your eye is full of light, your eye will be clear. A clear eye, not so, right? But if there's darkness in you, your eye is bad. It talks about a clear eye and a full body of light versus a bad eye and a body full of darkness. And in the prior statement, it just said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Then he mentions the state of two eyes. And then he says, you cannot serve God and... Mammon hate the one. So how I administrate finances will either testify to my state of light and increase in the same or testify to my state of ignorance. Amen? And increase in the same. But we don't have time to decode that. What I want to conclude with is something on my heart on page 25. And we'll do this just in the next five or ten minutes or so. It's the blessing of what I call corporate provision. It's something God has been talking to me very seriously about recently. And remember I said to you that we're getting to a place in God right now where God's going to corporately provide for the welfare of the house. Amen. And first fruits will be part of the administration, the methodology by which God will do these things. Okay. There's a case study here in Second Kings chapter 4 this will encourage you watch remember Elisha and I spoke about Elisha this morning it says when Elisha returned from Gil returned to Gilgal there was a family, and sons of the prophets were sitting before him and his servants and he said to his servants put a large pot and boiled stew for the sons of the prophets okay now everyone say famine in the land global economic disaster Hmm? which i i taught very vociferously this morning that this is going to escalate dark times economically are coming upon the earth but there's ample evidence in scripture how that sons who are rightly positioned in reference relationally to a father will be preserved i mean these guys are eating in famine right no one's starving here no one's coming to destitution needs to be taken care of right and stew no eh? good pot of stew on the boil a poiki, poiki for want of a modern day descriptor as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him he said to his servants put a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets One went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered it into his lap full of wild goats, and came and sliced them into the pot of stew for they did not know what they were. It's very dangerous to cook something you do not know. (laughs) Gathered something from outside and he slices it up into this pot of stew. They poured it out for the men to eat. And as they were eating the stew, they cried out, "O man of God, there is death in the pot. (laughs) Poison, right? There's death in the pot. And they were unable to to eat. So what does Elisha do? Elisha says, bring me meal. Bring me meal. And he threw it into the pot. Pour it out for the people that they might eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Be careful of the pot that you eat out of spiritually spiritually don't eat wine wild herbs unknown okay you eat from one table while well, you can eat variously as your father will permit and advise but there should be a primary table from which you get your spiritual nourishment and sustenance from amen it's amazing what does meal represent what is meal used to make bread which is an indication of doctrine of the word of God. It's the meal of Elisha that arrests the poison in the pot. It's the doctrine of your father that sometimes will arrest the poison that sometimes you expose yourself out, you, yourself to in the world. Okay? So the doctrine of the father arrests the poison in the pot and there's no harm in the pot. Next verse. Now, a man from Baal Shalisha, uh, Shalisha means thrice fold God. Brought the man of God bread of what? First fruits. It was permitted in their culture to offer first fruits either in its raw form or processed. Like you gather your wheat and you bake bread. This guy did it. Okay, He gathered his first fruits and how many loaves did he make? 20 loaves of barley. What month are we in? You should know. First month. 137, barley, wheat, oil, and wine. This is how you interpret the scriptures, right? So, barley, and he, made, he makes 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. So, he got the processed product, the bread, and some of the fresh ears of grain, the raw product. The entire first fruit. And who's he coming to? His father in Christ, Elisha. Because what is stew without bread, right? guy's got stew going, no bread, right? You need some to balance. This guy is very wise. And he offers, he realizes probably the sons of the prophets need something. So I will not just give my raw product. I'll process it. Bring the bread and watch. 20 loaves, fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he said, give them to the people, eat. Now this is what I mean by corporate provision. Elisha did not say, wow, 20 loaves for me. The first fruit belongs to the priest. It's all mine. He can't eat when his sons are starving in a time of famine. He can't just replenish himself, get fat like the sons of Eli when there's valid corporate needs within his context. So what does he do? He filters through the bread to the, to the people. Now, there are, you would learn later, let's just read the next verse. His attendant said, what shall I set this before a hundred men? Now, twenty loaves and a hundred men is very I mean, and uh, by the way, these not bakers' loaves. When it says loaves here, it's like a bun. <laughs> and how many? Twenty? And you've got a hundred guys? No, no, it's not going to work, right? And the Bible says, but he said, Elisha said, Give it to the people that they might eat. For thus says the Lord, he prophesies, They shall eat and even have some left over. When first fruits are filtered away from the private needs of the Father, out of His discernment to satisfy corporate needs, it has the power to exponentially multiply and increase. Exponentially multiply and increase. Right? And what does the Scripture says in the next verse? He set it before them. They ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord what does this miracle remind you of the feeding of the five thousand the book of john this is the old testament counterpart for that new testament miracle right even there too a little boy gave five loaves and two fish to jesus remember and it exponentially multiplied i think that was typical of a first fruit offering and by the way from what i know of young boys No young boy will willingly give his loaves of bread away, right? And so he willingly offers that to the Lord. And what he gives, five is representative of grace, five loaves. What he gives from a position of grace to grace to satisfy corporate needs has the power to multiply and exponentially grow and and increase. It's a very powerful Old Testament case study. Of the administration of first fruits and its power within a corporate household. Amen. One last blessing, and then we're going to close. And this is actually the first one that I put in your notes. It's on page 21, Ezekiel 44, verse 30, and then we're going to pray. One of the blessings on first fruits, I put it first because as I studied this, it most appealed to me. Its simplicity just appealed to me. The way it's worded, Says thus, the first of all the first fruits of every kind of every contribution of every kind of your contributions shall be for the priests. You shall also give it to the priest, the first of your dough. Why? To cause. Everyone say to cause. But positional blessings must be activated by an obedient lifestyle. Catalytically ignited. And it says, when you do this, God said to them, you cause a blessing to rest. The word rest means doesn't come and go. It comes to stay. comes to abide. comes to hover. comes to be a permanent thing upon your house. Amen. You be blessed. Your marriage is blessed. Your, your kids are blessed. Your workplace is blessed. When I come to your home, I sense the blessedness of a peaceful environment. Even I'm talking physically. The premises becomes blessed. Hallelujah. And I want to encourage you, everything you put your hands to will have a sense of the blessedness of the Lord. Amen. There will be distinctive that indeed you are the blessed of God. I pray as the revelation of this truth comes to you, I am testimony to how God has taken care of my personal needs, all the needs of my children. One person said to me, how many kids do you have? i said four he said what i'm only having one and he said i'm only having one for economic reasons i said that should never govern how many kids you have if you're a son of god you live by faith um, and we always wanted i think we wanted five are you still up for this <laughs> just getting permission from me. but we had four right now all our kids are blessed and they have distinctive marks of the blessing of the lord upon their lives all four and my four boys, three boys, and my one last girl. I say, your house, when I say your house is blessed, it's not just you being blessed financially. Everything attached to your domestic dwelling will be blessed of the Lord. For the record, we don't just honor our spiritual father, our personal capacity with first fruits and our tithes. Our church collectively, as an entity, we take a tithe of the tithe, And we honor our spiritual father in the Lord. The church collectively, at the start of every financial year, we honor our spiritual father with our first fruit from the corporate fund. Amen. And I will encourage any minister or leader of a household to observe the same and see what then blessing rests on the spiritual house, not just the domestic dwelling. Amen. I can't tell you the sense of blessedness that you suddenly escalate into when these things are practiced out of conviction with revelation and with sincerity of heart right i'm responding to the revelation of truth that this has unveiled in my spirit communicated to us through valid and authentic apostles and prophets of our time and we are testimony to this fact that it see how indeed god has taken care of us amen Stand with me and just pump your note and say, we indeed are blessed people. We indeed are blessed people. I want to encourage you, church. The blessing of the Lord is going to be distinctive. I say this to you prophetically. It's going to be a mark. It's going to set you apart as the blessed of God. And when they come and inquire of you why, they will say, teach me your ways. And you revert them back to the law of the Lord. The principles of God's word that ensured your success in everything that you touch. I believe the blessing of one of someone will be your portion. Everything you do will prosper. That's where I'm living. That's my expectation in God. Everything you do will prosper. Amen. This is going to be an essential component. Dr. Segi at the ASM, recently held by Pastor Thamo Naidu. Echoed a prophecy that those attendants at that school together with their representative congregations are going to come into the blessing in the house where the Bible says, because he housed the Ark of the Covenant, Obedidim, for three months, he was blessed. It says, Obadidim was blessed, his house was blessed, and everything that pertained to him was blessed. I'm declaring over my life and your life, you are blessed, your house is blessed everything that pertains to you in your sphere of, of of influence and everything allotted to you allocated to you is blessed in god now how many of all prophecies are conditional i believe our financial obedience is a key factor to accessing this kind of blessing amen this kind of blessing so i want to encourage you let's let's believe god tell someone just believe let's just believe god and function accordingly let's lift up your hands for the blessing I bless you in the name of the Lord. I bless you with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. I pray the grace, an abundant grace upon you all, the grace in its richness be your portion now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I declare that you will not lack. I declare as you position yourself internally with an internal resolve to obey God's law that indeed blessings will rest on your house I decree it over you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I decree no lack no struggle economically I decree the blessing of the Lord come upon you even now and overtake you in Jesus name I decree that you will be well supplied amply supplied to do all that God has called you to do, relevant to His will and to His purposes concerning you. I decree a spirit of honor upon you in the name of the Lord. A spirit of respectful leadership and those who have oversight over you in Christ. I, I, I pray that disposition grow and multiply in you in the name of Jesus. And God, my God, will supply all your need according to His riches in glory. By Christ Jesus, in his name I pray, amen and amen.